Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. It's Wednesday, the 17th of May, 2023. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Hello, my friend. How are you doing today? What's going on in your neck of the woods? You know, when you open your eyes this morning and look out the window, what do you see? Like, you could let me know that today. i like to know, what, what are you seeing where you are? Where in the word are you today? One of my other favorite things to ask. What are some of your favorite questions to ask in conversation with other people? Like, do you have like a go-to thing that you ask folks? Apparently, the overwhelming majority of people define themselves by their profession, by what they do. Is that how you define yourself? Is that like the primary way that you identify? Um, Not for me. Uh, And so I'm looking for new conversation starters, new ways to enter into conversations with um, with people who I meet um, and, you know, find something to say other than, well, what do you do? Like, let's not have that be our primary go-to question. Um, so what are some of your favorite questions you've been asked to initiate a conversation? Um, what are some of your Go to questions. I'd love to hear them. You can text me anytime, 877 933 2484. If you're listening to this via a podcast and you want to share with me, um, if when you text, you would note that it's for Carmen, that'd be great because, you know, the text line's open when I'm live on the air and um, I can read them anytime. But uh, if you're not doing it when the show is airing live, then uh, I need you to note that it's for me. That'd be great. So 877-933-2484. Where in the word are you? What's going on outside your window? What are some of your uh, go-to opening salvo questions to people you meet for the first time? Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Psalm 39, verse 4. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting is my life. So that's kind of a sober uh, verse, is it not? Lord, remind me of how brief my time on earth is, or how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. Your days are numbered. How fleeting is my life. When I consider how long the trees um in in the, in our pro- on our property, and even when I say that, like the trees on this property, when I consider how long they've been here, when I consider um, the gravel bar uh, that's piled up at the edge of the river where I live, when I consider the water in the river, when I when I consider these things, I am very aware of the brevity of my life, and um, so good reminder today. And also this passage is a reminder of reminders. 
um, we're called to remember. Like the Bible is actually itself a reminder, and the Bible is full of reminders. So maybe consider today all of the things that God encourages us to remember, and then the tools that God gives us in order that we would remember. We're called to remember over and over and over and over again. You know, remember God. Remember the things of God. Remember who you are. Um, remember the things of old. Remember your former realities. Remember who you were before you came to know God in his grace. Remember the covenant. Remember uh, God's the one who sets a bow in the sky to not only remind himself, but to remind us of the devastating cost of sin and the amazing grace of redemption and its consequences. Remember the cross. God gives um, circumcision as a reminder of the covenant that he made with Abraham. God ordered feasts and he told his people to set up memorial stones in places and times so that they could do what? Remember where they had been and what God had done and who they were in relationship to him. The entire sacrificial system of the first and second temple, they're designed to be a reminder of sin year after year. God gave the scriptures as a tool for remembering. In Exodus 17, God says to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial, recite it to Joshua that he might remember. Jesus gives us the Lord's Supper in part as a tool of remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. Um, What do you need to be reminded of today in terms of the things of the faith? Paul reminds the Christians in Corinth of the gospel that he preached to them, which they received in which they now stand. Peter says, uh, you know, I'm always going to be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. You've been established in this truth. It is present with you, but you need to be reminded. Proverbs 7, my son, remember what I say. Treasure my commands. Remind yourself of them. Write them on your heart as if on a tablet. So I encourage you today to remember and then remind yourself of the things of which you need to be reminded. And then thank God that he gives the Holy Spirit um, as the one right there present in and with us always to remind us of God's presence and his goodness and his grace. Maybe God would use you today as a reminder to someone else who may have forgotten who God is and who they are in relationship to him and the goodness of the gospel. Jeff Bilbro is going to join us next. Um, We're going to talk about cliches. Do you have a favorite cliche? Do you have a least favorite cliche? What is a cliche? And are they all bad? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All that glitters is not gold. To each his own. You win some, you lose some. Don't get up on the wrong side of the bed. Jeff Bilbro, good morning. Let's talk about cliches. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. Jeff Bilbro uh, teaches at Grove City College. He also is one of the editors at Front Porch Republic, where you can find the Water Dipper. And in the Water Dipper this week, I found um, fresh cliches. I've, I've never thought about cliches in this way, and, um, and I like it. Yeah, my friend Matt Stewart has this great essay kind of thinking through how um, sometimes when we are looking for things that are fresh, that are new, uh, that aren't cliched, uh, it, we're just um, looking for an excuse to ignore tried and true wisdom. And, uh, you know, some things are cliches because they're generally reliable 
and um, yeah, trustworthy. And so we shouldn't mistake uh, being edgy or being, you know, uh, new and fresh with, uh, with being true, that, that there is real merit in uh, being boring. Um, I, I like the way that uh, that he approaches this uh, conversation um, when he's talking about things that prove themselves true. Um, yeah. They they are true truths. And yet sometimes we imagine that everybody already knows that true truth. And so we don't think we need to bother sharing it in a in a new day um, to with a new person, because for us, it's not fresh and new. I, I just really feel like that is true of of the things of the faith. I think we yeah. imagine that we need to find new and clever ways to communicate. And in reality, we just really need to say about God what God has already said about himself. Yeah, and um, for ourselves as much as for others, right? Sometimes we need to hear the old truth anew. So uh, we shouldn't expect that, um, you know, every day we're going to find something really titillating or uh, interesting in that, that sense of innovative or unusual, but, um, but should be open to, to receiving things that are true and um, that we've heard a few times before. So um, when you think about... Um considering cliche um, and the, and the difference being that sometimes we need to go and do the old thing. Do we, we don't want to be constantly asking God to do something fresh and new for us. Like prove yourself to me in this way. Sometimes we just need to rely on what God has already. Well, we do need to not sometimes we need to rely on what God has already done and proven himself true in. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of that adage by G.K. Chesterton that, uh, you know, we're as adults, sometimes we can get jaded and bored with the repetitive, um, repetitive nature of God's character and God's goodness. But there is something profoundly childlike in uh, in that. And I think a child's uh, insistent demand to do it again, do it again, do it again when you're playing, uh, playing a game with a kid. Chesterton says that's like God every morning to the sun saying, do it again, son, rise again today. And mm. take sheer delight in that. Um, even if it's happened a million times before, it's still a miracle. I love that. I love that. I love considering the sunrise as a fresh cliche. Yeah. That's really... That's really nice. I uh, I don't want to ever become a person who fails to communicate the basic true truths of the gospel because I imagine that, you know, they're too old fashioned or everybody's already heard them um, or, you know, nobody needs to hear that again. So um, I appreciate this plea for contentment with basic wisdom and this um, this reminder that other people still desperately need to hear things that, you know, I feel like everybody already knows, um, acknowledging yeah. that, yeah, that 
true truth is true and needs to be repeated over and over and over again. Um, All right, let's take a very brief break. We're going to continue our conversation with Jeff Bilbro. Um, We're going to pick up on another piece that he has got in this week's Water Dipper. And it's a conversation about homesteaders and homesteading today. Do you know somebody who is planting their own garden, seeking to cultivate their own food? Do you know people... Um, who have just entered into this and maybe for a particular reason. Um, That's what we're going to talk about next. It's not just a trend in gardening. Um, It's it's an acknowledgement that there's a fundamental dignity in labor and producing our own things and taking responsibility and reviving active citizenship. All uh, All kinds of great parts of homesteading. Are you a homesteader? What does that mean? What does it look like? That's up next. Here on Mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. We're continuing our conversation with Jeff Bilbro. Um, Jeff, let's talk a little bit about um, today's diverse homesteaders. I'm looking at a piece you have posted in the Water Dipper um, talk with us about this move toward homesteading. Who's involved, and um, what what does it tell us about our our very very real need to be connected to the things of the earth? Yeah, Ashley Colby talks. I mean, she, and she has experience of this in her own life. She uh, is a homesteader in South America, and she d- teaches classes to people interested in acquiring some of these basic skills. And she talks with a bunch of um, people in the greater Chicago region uh, for this essay. And, and, you know, I think it's, it is fascinating how it's people from across the political spectrum, um, people who are religious or not religious, um, all kinds of motivations, whether it be fear of, uh, you know, vulnerability, if we don't have some of these basic skills, or whether it just be a uh, love of being more self-sufficient and the opportunity to get get your hands dirty, um, growing your own food. And uh, so, so there's a lot of opportunities, I think, for common ground um, among people who might not otherwise have have a lot in common. And it doesn't have, you know, some of the people she talks to are pretty self-sufficient, but a lot of them are just um, growing big gardens. You know, it's not like uh, they're totally self-sufficient, but they're taking taking some responsibility for growing their own, uh, their own food. I heard a, an interview um, with the, the head of the Burpee Seed Company, and he said there's yeah. been a revival of gardening, not only across this country, but around the world, um, that really, I mean, they're having a hard time even keeping pace with. Um, and people, people are gardening everywhere. Uh, they're gardening in containers, um, you know, out there, out their urban windows and they're gardening on rooftops and they're gardening on their church campuses, um, churches that used to have ball fields because they had lots of kids now have community gardens in those same spaces. People are gardening at the perimeters of cemeteries. I mean, he was talking about all kinds of things, like any place that there is a patch of green, um, there is in some communities, you know, now a garden and it draws people together. Um, It provides for generational contact that otherwise might not exist. Um, it's really, really um, a wonderful, I think, a wonderful redevelopment in the culture today. One of the things that I uh, learned of 
in reading this piece was a piece by Wally Chamberlain called All the Ways You Can Stay. And it's, it's an, I think, an answer to Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You'll Go, also, you know, yeah. written to a child and written in verse. Um, and so I'm going to just read a very brief portion of it so people can get um, the sense of it and the flavor of it. So bear with me here, uh, Jeff, just a moment. Most kids like you who are from towns like this are encouraged to leave and then set adrift. Oh, the places you'll go. Yes, that's what they'll say. You're nothing but stuck. If you do nothing but stay, you'll um, you'll head straight out of town. Like everyone said, that kid's going places. They'll make their own bed. But then you'll look back. It'll be hard to swallow. The same place you once loved now just looks so hollow. The barns, they all lean and the fields overgrown. Paint peels quicker on a house that's not home. It's hard to see, but indeed, it's the truth that places will fade without memories and youth. Yes, places need people, and this one does too. And maybe this place and these people need you, your family, your friends, these hills and this town. They'd not be the same without you around. So leave if you must, but perhaps not today. Stop and consider all the ways you can stay. Um, this this poem, this teaching, this lesson goes on for several paragraphs. Um, Wally Chamberlain's All the Ways You Can Stay, if you guys are looking for it. Um, talk with us about the the value of staying and not leaving. Yeah, I think, uh, and, and gardening is such a great example of that, right? It's not just staying in a place because you're stuck or because you can't get anywhere else, but it's turning to the place you are with an eye toward how you might be able to care for it and tend it and, and cultivate what's there so that um, life can flourish. Um, you know, a gardener has to, obviously, obviously a gardener wants to enjoy the fruits of the garden, but first you have to look out for the good of the crops, right? You have to figure out what they need. And I think that attitude can carry over to other aspects of um, how we inhabit our places. You know, what, what would it look like to live in our communities, in our churches, in our neighborhoods um, with that eye or what do these people um, need from me and, and how can I uh, encourage them to flourish and, uh, to, and work in that direction? So I think, yeah, this poem is a great vision of um, the fruits that can come when people put down roots and and look to cultivate the lives of their places rather than just um, pursue their own individual careers. Yeah, I love that. Um, it's not necessarily all the places that we'll go. It is the place to which God calls us yeah. um, to invest ourselves. And, uh, and so I think sometimes the world uh, tells us a story um, about leaving and sometimes it's in the staying. I mean, I even think about think about the two sons in the parable of, I mean, it's yep. either the parable of the good, good father, or it's the parable of the prodigal son, or it's the parable of the son who stayed. But, um, you know, the real, I think one of the real lessons in all of that is the, the comment to the father at the end, to the son who remained. I mean, have you missed it? Have you missed it? Because you've been with me. Like, it's about being here in this place together. Um so yeah, I think there's um there's lots of evidences that that staying 
um, is not a bad thing. And so thank you so much for lifting up both of these pieces, um, the one through the other uh, at the Water Dipper. You guys can find Jeff Bilbro um, and the things that we talked about today at Front Porch Republic, jeffbilbro.com. What you're looking for is the Water Dipper. Today we talked about fresh cliche and we also uh, highlighted this piece on Forgotten Utopia, a conversation about today's diverse homesteaders, which includes a link to Wally Chamberlain's All the Ways You Can Stay. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right. First of all, thank you for all of your um, engagement on the text line this morning. The number is 877-933-2484. This friend, uh, Becky, says, my uncle would always greet me with, what's the good news? I like that to this day. Focus on asking people what the good news is. Somebody else said, I like to ask people, what was your high and low today? Um, Somebody uh, else said, um, I like to ask people, where do you hail from? which led me um, uh, to the reminder of a question that I do frequently ask people. And um, it's not necessarily the first question, but fairly early in a conversation when I've arrived at that point where I'm tempted to ask, what do you do for a living or what do you do? Um, I like to ask um, something like, where does your heart go when I say the word home? Where does your heart go when I say the word home? What would your answer to that question be? I got a couple of storylines here to hit internationally before we uh, talk with our friend Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. Um, Two storylines to make you aware of, um, both related to Iran. Russia and Iran have signed a deal to finance and build a railway line uh, as part of a new international north-south transport transport corridor intended to rival the Suez Canal as a major trade route. And you say to yourself, why do I need to know this? <clears throat> well, because when Russia and Iran agree to anything, um, it, it has uh, not only global significance, but there is a genuine motivation behind it um, because they are both looking for ways to get around the constraints imposed by Western economic and nuclear sanctions. And so when Russia and Iran are up to something together, um, we ought to pay attention. When China is involved as well, we ought to really, like our eyebrows ought to be perked up into the tops of our foreheads. Um, And so when we talk about the development, um, the Belt and Road Initiative of China uh, intersecting, that's an east-west effort, intersecting with this north-south effort of Russia and Iran, um, we ought to be paying attention. Because trade routes have always, I want you to think about this over the course of human history, the importance of trade routes in, um, in which cultures prevail and which do not, or which nations prevail and which do not. So it is a significant headline today. Uh, second uh, headline related to Iran is that the U.S. military is now working with allies to send more ships and aircraft specifically into the Arabian Gulf, potentially to um, serve as escorts for convoys of ships carrying oil. Why? Well, because Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard has seized three oil tankers 
just in the past few weeks. Ships traveling through the Strait of Hormuz, um, leaving uh, Dubai, headed to a port in um, in the in the UAE. Um, they're surrounded in this most recent case by a dozen boats from the uh, Iranian uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guard, forcing those tankers to into Iranian waters. Um, and so members of the U.S. Senate were briefed during a confidential closed-door meeting yesterday with intelligence and military officials. Um, the The real challenge that we face here in the United States is that um, our engagement with Iran um, has been stagnant now for a couple of years, and um, stagnation in diplomacy is not a good place to be. Iran is moving aggressively forward against democratic efforts inside its um, own borders, um, and it is moving aggressively with allies like Russia and China, um, you know, toward not only its own survival, but um, a way of combating uh, U.S. and Western sanctions, both nuclear and economic. So it's important for us to pay attention. There's nowhere in the world that um, the gospel is spreading faster than Iran, China, and Sub-Saharan Africa. And so anywhere where the gospel is spreading quickly, you have to think that the enemy is also super-duper interested. And so let's be praying today for Christians in hard places. Um, And with that in mind, we're going to talk with our friend Ruth Kramer. Um, She's going to give us a window into what our Christian brothers and sisters are experiencing in some of the hardest places in the world. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Ruth Kramer is joining us again today from Mission Network News. You can find the stories we're discussing today and many others at missionnews.org. Ruth, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Oh, I I am well. I am well. It is is well with my soul. Um, My people are good. Summer is here. How about you? How are you? Mostly I'm I'm kind of tracking the same way, except I'm in the middle of training season for track, and so everything hurts and I'm dying. Yeah, you know, I would if I were training for track, uh there's no question that everything would be hurting and I would be dying. So <clears throat> you um yes. <clears throat> and I will miss seeing you this year at NRB, but uh but I love the opportunity that we have to uh to catch up here. So I'm on uh missionnews.org and I'm looking here at a report out of India. Could you bring us up to date on what's happening there and how we can be praying for our brothers and sisters? Absolutely. Um, I think what's surprising to me is that this story hasn't picked up a lot of traction because really uh, there's so much other big stuff happening in the world that this one kind of slid under the radar for a lot of people. And that's what's happening in Manipur state. Um, It's it's gotten so unruly in this particular state that the army has been deployed and the curfew has been imposed and there are shoot on site orders that have been issued to try to bring law and order back into uh, that region. Um, Internet blackouts are also a big thing. So some information has been slow and trickling out. But really what started all of uh, the trouble is um, you had an issue with uh, Manipur's Hindu majority people group and the Christian tribal minorities who live in the the region as well. And they've been kind of at... um, at loggerheads for 
a number of years. And those tensions actually boiled over earlier this month when the majority people group wanted the government benefits at the expense of the tribal minorities. The tribal minorities protested. They clashed with the majority people group, and it just all fell apart from there. In the ensuing days, um, multiple homes and churches that were connected to the minority people group were attacked and burned. Um, as of the report from, I think, earlier in the week, let me see what the date is on that one, May 16, um, 120 churches were, were singled out for attack and burned down, uh, destroyed or looted. And uh, the homes of Christians and businesses of Christians in that region were also uh, destroyed. Um, it's a situation that has been unfolding. The government says that order has been restored, but that's really kind of still in question. And, and it feels more like you're putting a lid on a boiling pot. Um, the issue hasn't been dealt with. So the likelihood of another explosion of violence is very likely. Uh, we spoke with our partners, uh, our partner friends at A3, um, and they're telling us that um, 2,500 homes have been destroyed and they were all owned by Christians, tribal Christians. Uh, 25,000 people have been displaced as a result of this particular mm. violence. Um, so I asked the question, is it ethnic cleansing or is it religious cleansing? And really this particular ministry worker says it's both. Um, there, it, it, you can't really draw the line to separate the two. And uh, so it is a little bit of both that is happening. It's a mindset that will continue. So um, seeing a a truly lasting peace on a political situation is going to be very difficult to, to maintain. Um, it's one of those things where uh, as you're seeing the humanitarian crisis develop, um, we're asking the question, what can we do as the body of Christ to come alongside in the situation? And some of the surviving churches that um, that weren't burnt down have opened the doors and become refugee centers. Interestingly, there were a couple of churches that the mobs had surrounded with the intent of burning them down, but because of their proximity to gas stations, uh, they decided not to do that, and um, they left those those churches alone. They took everything out and burned it, but the buildings are still standing, so they are refugee centers right now. Um, so local believers are offering aid and uh, Christ's encouragement and hope in these kinds of situations. Um, I think what we can be praying for is that these these believers that are struggling in this area um, can know how to wisely maintain their gospel witness amidst a time when they need to also defend themselves. Mm. Um, that's a really tough call. Um, be praying for wisdom for them and ask God for gospel opportunities as a result of this situation um, that the anger and the hurt and the bitterness don't spill over into other gospel opportunity space. Ruth, um, let's pray. Father, we come before you on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ in India. Um, we pray for the congregations of these 120 churches that were attacked, destroyed, burned, or looted, um, we pray for um, the light of the gospel to shine upon those who committed this violence. We ask a protection upon our brothers and sisters. We ask your hedge of divine protection over them. And Father, we ask that you would um, keep us mindful 
um, of the extraordinary liberty with which we live and the precious nature of the gospel. Holy God, grant your grace. Provide for uh, churches in these communities that are still standing, that they might supply for the needs of those who are grieving and hurting. And Father, pray that the 200 dead might be identified, even if only by you. Holy God, leave none unaccounted for by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Ruth, let's uh, let's take a very brief break, and then when we come back, let's talk about what's going on in Turkey. We're talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find all that we're talking about today and so much more at missionnews.org. When we talk about the walk of faith or walking by faith or taking each step of life with the Good Shepherd, we imagine ourselves as sheep walking with him. Or maybe we see ourselves in the disciples with Jesus walking from town to town throughout the land we call holy. Every Christian wants to walk where Jesus walked, but not everyone's going to get to go to Israel. So if you want to see the Holy Land the way it might have looked through the eyes of Jesus, take a journey with Max Lucado. We're giving away a copy of his new book, In the Footsteps of the Savior, every day in May. Thanks to Thomas Nelson Publishing, you can walk in the footsteps of Jesus. You can enter to win on the Faith Radio app or at MyFaithRadio.com. It's the Every Day in May giveaway, so enter today at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Ruth, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. Ruth, there was, uh, there was a presidential election in Turkey uh, with an outcome that I think is going to surprise some people. Yeah, well, um, the incumbent president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, didn't win outright. So <laughs> I think that was a surprise more than anything else, um, that he has uh, basically drawn even with his challenger for president, Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu, uh, and and they're going to have a runoff uh, May 28th. Um, this has been a very polarizing uh, kind of election because Erdogan represents old Turkey. He represents two decades of power and um, uh, really championing the Islamic values of uh, the country and steering away from Western influence. While Kılıçdaroğlu is a secular candidate and he's really calling for more freedom and democracy and wants to strengthen ties with the West. So you have um, kind of a, a, a a crossroads, and the outcome of the um, the runoff election not only decides who's going to be president, but also the direction that parliament is probably going to go, um, because there was also a parliamentary election at the same time. So it'll be very interesting to see how things are going. Obviously, our partners in Turkey are asking us to pray for the outcome there. Um, but even if it goes into like back to Erdogan. Um, you know, we may not have control of the politics there, but we know the God who is in control of everything. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we can join these ministries in praying for wisdom and how they handle uh, the situation, um, just create creativity, and um, that uh, there'll be opportunities to spread, you know, the salt and light of the gospel. Um, I think what is interesting here is that you have uh, a blending of cultures as you see um, – 
Turkey Aid kind kind of turning a new leaf. There, this is why you're not seeing an outright win in in the elections. So it's it's going to be a, a really interesting time, May 28th. I think this is something we can continue to pray for. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting is that uh, the opening of the doors for humanitarian aid because of the earthquake changed the direction of the politics. Mm-hmm. I think people were seeing that uh, Turkey can't survive in a closed environment. It needs to be part of a global community. And I, that is the thing that I think has has shifted the direction a little bit. So um, it's significant and we can join our partners in praying for what's happening in Turkey. Yeah, God uses um, everything, right? Uh, even earthquakes. Um, and so, yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, Sudan, um, these are these are just devastating stories coming out of Sudan. We haven't uh, highlighted this for probably a week. So could you bring us uh, up to speed on what's happening in Sudan? You have two warring generals that are fighting for dominance. Uh, right now, everybody wants to control the capital city, Khartoum. So that's where they're focusing all of their efforts right now. You've got the the government's military on the one side, and you have a paramilitary force called the Rapid Support Forces on the other side. And it's turned into a head-to-head civil war uh, for the power struggle here. Um, because of what is happening, a lot of countries actually have cleared out their di- uh, diplomatic corps because it doesn't look like this is going to be a short-term kind of thing. This feels a lot like it's going to draw the country back into a full-blown civil war. And that is something that nobody really wanted because they were hoping for better, especially with the coup that took place where a dictator was ousted. Uh, And there were a lot of promises for diplomacy and democracy and things like that, and none of that has come to pass. So we can be praying for the situation in Sudan. Right now, Khartoum is really under a barrage. It is definitely a city under siege. Um, There are opportunities many opportunities because there are a lot of ministries that have been working in and around Sudan. Um, So there are ways for networks to get involved with this, to bring in the humanitarian aid because pretty much everything's been cut off. Um, World Mission is one of our partners that we spoke to about this situation. And they bring in these things called um, the treasures. They're solar-powered audio Bibles uh, in Arabic. They're loaded with the gospel in Arabic. And um, they kind of pair these treasure distributions with humanitarian aid. So anywhere they go, where they're providing food, uh, water, medicine, and shelter, they also provide the hope of the gospel because they realize that nothing changes without the feeding of the soul. I have a friend who's particularly concerned about the status of the Nuba people in the Nuba Mountains um, in central Sudan. Um, it is, you know, it is the the place um you know, where we have like the oldest, the most ancient evidence of Christian influence um, in that part of the world. Um, and I think that when we talk about what's happening in a capital city and we get intensely, um, you know, become intensely aware of what's happening in one place, it's sometimes easy to lose sight of the fact that, you know, these are countries and across the country people then suffer because goods and services that have been provided um you know, through through their government um, end. And sometimes the pathways to serving them um, by non, non-government organizations um, are disrupted as well. So what, what Ruth is sharing with us about the critical 
um, strategic placement of ministries that are already on the ground and already actively working, um, not only to supply uh, for emergency relief in places where there is now outright war going on in in, uh, in Sudan, but places that would be forgotten um, by others as they are focused on the capital city and other major cities in Sudan. So I'm thankful today for um, those who are supplying food and medical assistance and and yes, these solar-powered audio Bibles to um, people in Darfur and uh, and in the Nuba Mountains. So I just I wanted to highlight that as well from your article. Do I? I didn't have anything else to add to that because yeah, I just love yeah. it. So anyway, yeah. So thank you, thank you for the emphasis on people throughout the country and our opportunity to um, you know partner with those who are laboring there. Um, talk with us a little bit about the International Day for the Unreached. It's going to be Sunday, May the 28th. Well, that's Pentecost Sunday. And um, the Alliance for the Unreached wanted to highlight the cause of the unreached uh, to the general body of Christ in North America. That's how this whole thing started. And and so they created an event called the International Day for the Unreached, which was meant to be a day set aside for prayer and awareness about what's happening in reaching the the least reached. Like a third of the world's population has no access to a Bible or a believer or a body or really anything in God's word. And I guess we have to ask ourselves the question, are we okay with that? Like 160,000 people are dying every day to going to a Christless eternity. And what can we do about that? It sounds overwhelming. These numbers are huge, but each one of us can do something. And that is what the International Day for the Unreached is really set aside to do because a lot of the organizations, the ministries that are part of the Alliance for the Unreached are saying, hey, we're resourced to do this. We're already uh, focused on some of this stuff. Come alongside, walk alongside with us, pray into this situation, pray with awareness, and then talk about it and figure out what God is asking you to do. I mean, how much more could God do through us if we just said yes? Um, so one of the things that we are doing is we are encouraging people to download the Action Pack, which is um, something that has like a, just a bunch of resources put together, a 30-day uh, calendar of prayer for uh, the unreached peoples, um, some other facts and things like that that just kind of help you get more understanding about who the unreached actually are. It's actionpack.info. Uh, that's on the web, actionpack.info. And then the other thing that we're doing uh, on May 28 is we are going to be hosting on social media just some different times of prayer, some specific things uh, at 111 uh, that's sort of like 111 standing for a third of us, uh, if you look at it. Um, at 111, through each of the four time zones in the United States, we're just going to put up something there that says, hey, pray for this people group. If you start praying for an unreached people group, um, you can't ignore or walk away from a cause because God has laid that on your heart. And this is just something we're asking people to participate in because um, we're asking folks to consider how they might be able to find their place in the story. Ruth, when we think about um, people who are unreached, um, there are, you know, those listening who are thinking, hey, there are people living pretty close to me who are also unreached. And so as you're thinking about participating in the International Day for the Unreached, I want you to think about people who actively believe in some 
false God and in some false religion. Um, but I also want you to think about people who simply know God not, um, and they they are living outside of um, a gospel reality. They might be living very close to you. And so um, let's be focused near and far um, on Pentecost and the International Day for the Unreached. Um, Ruth, as always, thank you so much for joining us. You guys can read the articles we talked about today and so much more at missionnews.org. Thank you. All right, uh, some really good uh, questions here about um, you know, like things that you guys ask people in conversation or early in conversation when you're trying to get to know somebody or maybe when you've met somebody for the first time. Uh, I like this one. Um, when I say, uh, how do you identify, do you answer that question primarily um, out of your identity or I mean, I'm sorry, out of your ethnicity, out of your gender, out of your uh, work? Or by something else. And you notice that um, my friend doesn't give them out of your faith as an option. I think hoping to uh, provoke those who see their identity as first in Christ, um, answering that question, you know, spontaneously. So um, that's a that's a that's a pretty bold <laughs> starter question in a conversation. So thanks for that. Okay, and then on the topic of um, gardening and uh, where where your garden might grow these days, when I mentioned that. You know, churches are increasingly using portions of their property for community gardens and um, teaching gardening generation to generation and supplying for the needs of their neighbors and on and on and on. Uh, first of all, I love that movement. And if your church is involved in such a thing, I'd love to know about it, which is exactly what um, Nolvia texted in about. She says, hey, my church has a garden. And um, and so I asked a follow-up question, you know, where is that and who organized it? So Farmville Baptist Church in Auburn, Alabama, has a garden organized by a college student who just graduated from Auburn. And so, see, now I, uh, I think we ought to have that kid on, don't you? Wouldn't that be fun? Um, so uh, how does your garden grow? Do you have a garden growing at your church? Have I just given you an idea today on what you might do with some of that fallow ground and how it might become a place where people in, in your local community could start gathering for good and for the common good? You could teach gardening generation to generation. It could put you in proximity with younger people. And then, you know, you could mentor them in other ways as well. You could walk with them in the things of life and, yes, actually feed them, too. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.